What's going on, guys? It's Caden Broadhurst here with the Poolsville Young Life Podcast. I've got another great club talk for you today. It's Wednesday, the 5th of February, already in February 2020. Pretty exciting stuff. Today, I've got a treat for you. It might be a little bit longer than our usual 10-15 minutes, but I think it's going to be really beneficial for you guys and shed some, shed some light on our lives and how we can live the best that we possibly can and have the most joy and the most happiness and be the most content. So let's get right into it. Last week, you guys were with me. We talked about the rich young ruler and how he wasn't able to put his possessions away and wasn't able to get rid of his possessions in order to have everlasting life and to be able to have that full feeling of contentness and happiness in Jesus. And this week, we're going to give you a better example of someone who was actually able to do that. But first, I want to tell you a little about myself. Obviously, you know, everything's about me. I love archery. I have loved archery for six or seven years now. Um, When I got my first bow, it was freshman year of high school, maybe a little bit earlier than that. And I would practice all the time. Uh, my favorite character was always Hawkeye from Marvel, and I even liked Green Green Arrow from DC Comics. Um, they were really cool with just the accuracy that they had to to present to be able to win battles, and the precision and timing and the practice that they would have to be. It was just it was more skill than a lot of the characters and superheroes have. I feel like, and it and it kind of empowered me to be able to practice more and be like, oh, I really want to get this skill too. I want to have a skill that's really impressive that not a lot of people are able to do. So I practiced a lot and I got pretty good at it. And I learned a term um, that I didn't know before I started archery. And one of those terms was sin. So when you sin in archery, uh, it means you're missing your mark. It means you didn't get what you wanted to do. What you were called to do, you weren't able to hit. So if you were if you were looking at a target and it was you know you want to hit the bullseye that's your target that's your goal that's your calling when you pull when you draw your bow with your arrow in it what you want to do is you want to get that center hit you want to be able to hit the bullseye with your arrow and it's the most satisfying thing when you can do that but a lot of the time you we don't you know archers don't always hit that or at least amateur archers don't always hit that bullseye they don't hit their target I was able to hit my target a couple times, and most of the time when I was practicing, when I was learning, I missed a lot, and it's called a sin. And this was interesting because the only other time I'd heard the term sin was in regards to religion, in regards to faith, in regards to the Bible. Um, and the way that I originally thought about sin was breaking a rule. Right? The Bible is a, is a rule book, and in order to get everlasting life, in order to live with Jesus, in order to get into heaven, you have to not break any of those rules. But as I grew a little bit older, I learned, and this is normally how people learn it, um, or as you you mature, you think about it differently. And I keep getting reminded that sinning isn't about breaking the rules. It's about missing your mark. Same term. In Romans, it says it. You miss your mark. When you fall short of the glory, or when you sin, you fall short of the glory of God. What Jesus wants is he wants a he wants a relationship with us. And we'll talk about this more as we get into the story, but he wants a relationship with us and he's calling us to something greater. God's calling us to something greater in order to have that relationship with us. He can't really be associated with someone of such great sin, right? If we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. When we don't sin, we become closer to that glory. We became we we get a closer relationship with Jesus with God. And this is all this is all just me me talking and me kind of explaining it in the way that I understand it. And so when that happens, we aren't able to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. We aren't able to have that relationship with Jesus the more we sin. Now, everyone's going to miss their mark sometimes. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Everyone's going to not be able to be perfect 
But the thing is, it's not about being perfect. It's about accomplishing your calling. And Jesus calls us for lots of different things. For instance, for me, I feel like I was called to do this for you guys, to be able to either put up a podcast so that you can listen to it on your own time or do Young Life with the kids that I'm I'm talking to tonight. And I want to be able to empower them to spread the gospel too, or at least I want to be able to spread the gospel to them. I want to be empowered by my faith and my drive and my motivation, my calling, and I don't want to miss my mark by saying the wrong thing or not presenting the gospel in a way that Jesus would want me to, or not acting the way Jesus would want me to. That's another thing. He calls us to be like him. He calls us to act like Jesus and to be as perfect as possible so that we are like him. Not so that we're just perfect, not so we don't break rules, not so we morally are right, but so that we can be closer to Jesus, so that we can have a closer, more intimate relationship with him. And there's a guy in the Bible, his name's Joseph, who was able to pretty much all the time hit his mark. Even though he didn't really know what God had planned for him, he didn't really know his calling, he was able to say, hey, I have faith in what I'm doing, and I think this is the right way to do it. And it, and it, was, and it matched up with God because he was a righteous man. So it's a long story. Joseph, um, and some people call it Joseph in Technicolor Coat. But Joseph um, was a family of, in a big family. He had a lot of brothers, and he had a mom and dad. And, um, and so I'm going to tell you the story here. It's really long, so I'm going to kind of summarize for it. Joseph got, was the favorite. He was the favorite son of, of the dad. Right. And that's kind of what you need to know. And the brothers didn't like him for that reason. And for because of some other reasons, Joseph had an ability to interpret dreams. And he would have dreams. And a lot of the times, stories like this in the Bible are told for a purpose. So if he's able to interpret dreams, if he's able to have dreams, most of the people at this time period would perceive that as him being able to have, he's in closer relationship with God. He's in closer, not proximity, but He's got a special ability given by God to be able to do this. Maybe like a foresight, an insight. Um, and God obviously helps him with that. It's a talent that's given by God. It's not of his own power, but it's it's God's power that he's being able to be used and interpret. He's a medium. And so Joseph has a dream that all his brothers and his family and everybody around him bows down to him and worships him. Not exactly like that, but that's how his brothers interpret it. And that's the important part. His brothers interpret it incorrectly when he says there's a there's a star and he's that star and all of the other stars and the sun and the moon all bow down before him. And it's not exactly supposed to be interpreted that way, but his brothers take it that way. And so later on, a couple weeks go by or something goes by or something happens and they're in the field, they're flocks, they're, they're shepherds. And they're with their flocks, they're with their sheep out in the wilderness, and nobody else is around, and they just conspire against themselves. So let me read right here. They saw him from afar, Joseph coming, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here he comes, this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of the land to restore him to his father. Reuben was kind of a, he was a better brother. The other guys were very jealous of him and wanted him gone, but Reuben was like, eh, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit and just leave him there so that Reuben could possibly go back get him and get him later. Basically what happens is he comes there and they all agree and they take him and they take his cloak, his, his special cloak that his dad had given him and they throw him in a pit. 
and they leave him there for a little while. But then what happens is these Ishmaelites come and Ishmaelites are kind of nomadic peoples. They go around and trade things with people. So they sold him. They pulled Joseph out and they sold Joseph to these Ishmaelites and they were going to, and these Ishmaelites took him to Egypt. Okay. And the brothers went back and told the dad that he was killed and yada, yada, but that's not the important part. But you already can tell that Joseph's kind of been through a lot in this part. His brothers hate him, and that's probably not a new thing. His brothers have probably hated him for a while, maybe years of their life that they've hated him, maybe decades that they really haven't liked him. And that's probably evident. Maybe they don't talk to him. Maybe some of them give him the silent treatment whenever he talks. So that's got to be hard for Joseph living in that life. Like, What if your brother or sister just hated you, hated you for something you really couldn't, couldn't control? You have a gift, you have a talent that they don't have, and you're liked by your parents more than they are, and they just hate you for it. And would and are willing to kill you. Like that would be hard to deal with. And now he's actually being stripped of his cloak and thrown into a pit and then sold by his family, by his brothers. So that's gotta be really difficult. And yet he doesn't get mad, he doesn't curse God, he doesn't do anything like that. He just goes with it and says, Okay, God's got a plan. And so he gets to Israel, he gets to um, Egypt, that's where these Israelites take him, and they sell him to this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar was kind of like a ruler in Egypt. He was in command of a, an area, kind of like a governor. And Potiphar had a wife. I'm skipping a little bit of the story here, but Joseph was given a little bit of power underneath Potiphar. Some might say he was second in command of this area. So he's a pretty powerful dude now, which is understandable because Joseph can interpret dreams and he can interpret lots of different things other than dreams. So he's a smart guy. He's got skills. It's not that he's just dumb and keeps getting lucky. He's got skills. And he's being utilized for them. And those skills, those talents are given to him by God. And God's leading him through all of this. He's given him a path. Joseph doesn't know it, but there's a path for him and he's and he's going with it. He's just having faith that Jesus is going to take him in the right direction. right? He's having faith that his calling is what is happening to him now. And he's not going to deviate from that. He's going to try and not sin. He's not going to miss his calling. He's going to try and hit it in the center. He's going to try and go with what he thinks God's plan is for him. And here yet, comes another issue, another problem for him. Because Potiphar's wife sees him and says, oh, he's a good looking guy. I want to I wanna maybe take him home with me, you know? And Potiphar, a lot of people think that he was fat and he kind of didn't do a lot because he basically had Joseph do all of his work for him. So that the only, and it says, it says it right here, um, for Joseph's sake, the blessing of the Lord was all that he had in the house and field. So Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything except the food that he ate. So Potiphar just got to sit around and eat whatever food he wanted while Joseph took care of all the business, basically. And Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You guys hear that? He says, how can I do this wicked thing when God says, when God would assume this is a bad thing, when I assume this is a sin? I wasn't called for this. I was called to be second in command of Potiphar and spread maybe the gospel to him. Not the gospel at this time, but spread Jesus, God's word, spread his love for all creation. And he says, how can I sin against God? How can I miss my calling? I'm not going to do this wicked thing with you. The only thing that I was told not to do by Potiphar and therefore by God, because God controls all of it, is not to be with you. 
And so she goes and spreads a rumor, spreads a story that she was going to be raped by Joseph. And she says, hey, look, he, he left his cloak here when he tried to seduce me. And he and she told Potiphar that. She told her her husband. And Potiphar then fired Joseph and threw him in jail, just like that. Now, Joseph goes from being the favorite brother, I mean, the favorite son in the family, to being thrown in a pit, to being sold to, into slavery, to be sold into Egypt. He then works his way back up somehow with this skill, with this talent given by God. And now he's in a good position again. He's loved. He's the favorite. He's doing, he's probably making a lot of money. And then all of a sudden, because he's following the things that God wants him to do, he gets thrown in jail, loses everything. And while he's in jail, there are these two prisoners there, and he interprets their dreams. And one of their dreams um, is interpreted that he's going to be killed. He's going to die. And that happens. And then the other guy is going to be interpreted. He gets to go and work in the Pharaoh's house. He's going to be the wine taster or the um, some type of like menial job, but in the Pharaoh's house. And that comes true too. And the only thing that Joseph asks him is, hey, when you get there, remind Pharaoh that I'm here and that I have this ability and that I can, that I can maybe help in this situation. And so two year, years go by, and the the wine bearer, the guy that gets to work with Pharaoh, forgets about Joseph. Dang, right? So, Pharaoh, so Joseph is just in jail, not doing anything, sitting on his bum. He doesn't have any plan on what he's going to do, but God's got the plan, and that's what he puts his faith in. And so Pharaoh, um, after two years of him being in jail, Pharaoh has a dream. And this dream is, is really complicated and complex, and nobody can interpret it. No one can tell him what it means, and it's driving him crazy. And at that point, the wine bearer remembers, hey, I know a guy in jail who might be able to help you. And he says, bring him to me. So Joseph gets called from jail and he quickly comes and he gets all dressed up and he gets nice and he looks good. And he comes to the Pharaoh and he interprets the dream. And he interprets it with such specificity that the Pharaoh is dumbfounded. He's astounded that this guy has this ability. And the only way that he would be able to have this is from God, is what they all kind of assume. And then Joseph suggests a plan. Because the, the interpretation of the dream is that there's going to be seven years of the harvest is going to be great. You're going to have a ton of food, ton of money. Egypt is going to do well. It's going to rain at perfect times. You're going to have a ton of food. But then seven years after that, or sorry, for the seven years after those seven years, it's going to be famine. There's going to be no food anywhere. Nowhere in the surrounding areas is there going to be food. So what you should do is build giant buildings and put all the food in there, make stockpiles and save it for those seven years. Save everything that you don't need so that we can get through the famine. And so they do that. And as, and as, as that time passes and as those things happen, he just rises in power, rises in power to the point where he's like almost close to the Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh's right-hand man kind of guy. So now we have a beginning, favorite son, best best family, right? He's the best in the family. And then he gets thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. Bad, very bad. Doesn't have a plan. Doesn't know what God's plan is for him, but he has faith. He gets brought to, to Potiphar, right? Potiphar makes him second in command. He's got a lot of wealth, a lot of power, a lot of influence. One bad thing happens that he's that wasn't his fault, right? He was doing the right thing. And yet something bad still happens to him, but he doesn't know the plan. He has faith, right? Sometimes in life, bad things are going to happen. We don't really have a reason for them. But the only thing that we can do to be able to get through those is to assume God has a plan and stay faithful and stay and not sin, not try and go our own way, but do what God has called of us or just have faith in him. If we think that he's called us to do something, we go for it. If not, we 
If we know that it's wrong, we want to stay as far away from it as possible. That's what Joseph's doing. He's staying to the things that he knows God will appreciate. He's staying close to the things that God has called him to do. And so Joseph is rises in power and rises in power, and now he's second in command, and, and he's at a spot. He's at a spot where he can influence people in ways that are unimaginable. He can influence Pharaoh and say, hey, the only way that I'm able to interpret these dreams is through God. And that's what he does. And he tells everybody, and and not Christianity, but this belief that God is is the strongest power and powerful and loves us and is able to give us everything and has a plan for us just spreads throughout everywhere. And that's that was Joseph's calling. It was to influence people and to show that God has the power to do anything and can keep everyone safe. And no matter what we think is going to happen, he's got a plan for us. So I don't know what you guys are into. I don't know what you guys do. Only you guys know that. Only you and God know that. Like last week, we talked about the, the rich man rule and all his money, right? He loved his money too much. It was a cloud. It was a cloud in between God and us. It was dark and overcast, and it was blocking what we are, our true purpose is. It was blocking our true calling. Maybe there's something like that for you. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's wealth, right? I know for me, that's been a struggle recently is trying to be overly successful and doing everything I can to make money and be successful and and have people look at me with you know respect that I'm doing so well. Right? But something sometimes that gets in the way. Oftentimes that stuff gets in the way of people, especially in Montgomery County when a lot of people have a lot of money and a lot of possessions. It's very difficult to see God as the one true priority. Maybe it's a girl. Maybe it's a guy, you know? Very a cute guy or a cute girl that you really like, that you or even in a good way that you love. Maybe it's your girlfriend. And that's a good thing, right? If if you guys are right for each other, that's a good thing. But it becomes a bad thing when it gets too much. When you start putting her or him above the things that are really important. Maybe it's popularity, grades, you know, maybe getting into a good school. Maybe that's the only thing that matters to you and nothing else matters and you'll do anything to get there. That's not good either. We want to try and not miss our mark. We want to try and not miss our calling. Now, I don't know what your guys' calling is, but I know that God loves you. He says it and he wants to have a relationship with you. Jesus loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his own son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us. He lived a perfect life. He didn't sin at all. He matched his calling perfectly, and then he was punished for it anyway. Because we are the ones that were supposed to receive that punishment, right? Like I said, every sin falls short of the glory of God. And there's there's another passage that says, the wages of that sin is death. The wages of not being able to reach your calling perfectly and being able to have that vocational calling um, and match it to the way that God wants to is death. And God took that punishment for you guys because he loves us that much. He wants a relationship with us that much that he would come to earth, become a human, show us the way, show us the right way to do things, teach us through the Bible, right? Even though he's not here now, he taught us through the Bible. And this was intentional. God has the, had the intent from the beginning to be able to create this, to give to us today, to be able to read from, to be able to teach from, to be able to learn from. And that's another thing. When we make mistakes, because we are going to make mistakes. Trust me, I made a lot of them. I'm sure you guys have too, and I'm sure you will, because I know I will continue to make some mistakes. God's not going to hold that against you forever. 
if we're able to say, hey, I know that I messed up. I'm trying to do better. I will try to do better. He will instantly forgive you and forget about it. And that's the crazy love that we need to have for each other too. We need to be able to say to our friends who've wronged us or made mistakes that we still love them and that we'll forgive them for anything. Because that's the same thing Jesus would do. And our calling for all of us is to be like Jesus. Right? Whatever that means for you guys, I hope that you will be able to get something from that. Um, I'll pray for us, and then my Young Life guys will head to McDonald's. Heavenly Father, I appreciate the day you've given us to get a lot done. I planned a lot for Young Life today, and I've done a lot of work to be able to try and reach this calling that you've called me to be. And I don't know where you are in these kids' lives or what your calling is for them, but I hope that you'd show that to them. And if you don't, I ask you to give them courage and bravery to continue on a path of unknown, of uncertainty. Because even if we don't know what your plan is, we can still have faith that there is one because we know there is one. There was one for Joseph and he knew it to, he didn't know any, he didn't know anything about it. And yet he still chose to be faithful to you. And we want that kind of faith. Your heavenly name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. This was our fourth podcast, I think, now. Next week, we're going to have a guest, um, one of our other leaders. So please subscribe and like and tune in next week for our next episode. All right, have a wonderful day.